Well, welcome to the hills and to all of who are part of our online community. I especially want to thank you for your generous support of Renew. You know, it's difficult to have one of your most important offerings of the year online, but we felt like the needs and the ministries of the partners that we help is so crucial, we could not wait. In the current climate in our nation, I'm being asked a lot by well-meaning followers of Jesus, what can I do about injustice? In the Bible, when the prophets talk about justice, they don't just mean punishing people who are guilty. In fact, primarily they mean helping people who are innocent but who were caught in systems and conditions they did not create, but they cannot escape. To do justice is to help those who are trapped in systems that are not fair. That's what we do with our Renew offering. We're helping those who are in poverty escape. We're blessing children who need mentors. We're speaking for the unborn. We're enabling people who want to get out of the sex industry to do so. We're blessing so many who were in situations they didn't create, but that they cannot escape without help. So I just want to say thank you. Thank you for being sacrificial in blessing those as we pursue justice as a church, as the people of God. Now, you might notice that I'm standing in a new place today. I'm actually filming at our South Lake campus. There's a reason for that. Our North Richland Hills campus experienced some serious hell damage a few weeks back, followed by some torrential rains. And the consequence is we had serious damage to our North Richland Hills campus. Water damage that is going to involve replacing ceiling tiles, drywall, carpet. Ironically, our North Richland Hills campus is not currently available for use and will not be for some time. That leads to the question I promised last week I would address, and that is, what are we doing about a plan for reopening our campuses? I'm sending you through email a video early this week as we unpack that plan. So be praying for us. We need wisdom and grace as we try our best to lead this amazing church into God's awesome future. So that email will come early this week, and we'll lay out what we believe God is leading us to do. So, we're about to wrap up this series, Home is Coming. Next week will, will be our last teaching, and I want to talk about how we wait. Uh, what do we do until heaven comes to earth? I'm of the strong belief that what you believe about the future impacts the present. And we're going to say some strong things next week about how as Christians we engage our world right now and the issues we're dealing with and how our view of what's coming affects how we handle what's going on. But this week I made a promise that I would answer some of the most asked questions about heaven. You've been good enough to send me some great questions, some hard questions questions. Now, I wonder, by the way, will we have questions in heaven? Now, that reminds me of this story. I want to show you a picture of two of the greatest football coaches who ever lived, Bear Bryant at the University of Alabama and Darrell Royal for the University of Texas. Now, according to the story, when Bear Bryant died, he was met by the Lord and given a tour of heaven. 
And the Lord showed him this quaint little cottage and said, Bear, this is where you'll stay for all eternity. And Bear was impressed. But later, as Bear walks down the street with the Lord, they see this palatial mansion on this huge estate covered in burnt orange trim with a hook'em banner over the front door and longhorns in the pasture behind. And Bear is perplexed, and the Lord could tell. And What's the matter, Bear? He said, well, I don't get it, Lord. I mean, Daryl Roy was a good man. He, he coached some great teams, but I won more games. I won more national championships. I sent more boys to the pros than Daryl Royal. So why does he get a bigger house than me? And the Lord chuckled and said, Bear, that's not Daryl's house. That's my house. Okay, I know that all the Aggies just turned their devices off. But hang with me. Here's the point that I don't know if we'll have questions when we go to heaven. I do know we have a lot of questions before heaven comes to us. And by the way, healthy faith is capable and comfortable facing hard, challenging questions. I hope you've noticed in the last number of years, Taylor and I and our preaching have tried to take on some of faith's hardest questions. Healthy faith is not afraid of questions. But let me tell you something else. Healthy faith is not afraid sometimes to say, I don't know. I don't know how to answer that question. And in this teaching, I'm going to do some of both. What I'm going to do in this teaching is engage in what I'm going to call some holy speculation. You know, one reason that John was instructed by the Spirit of God to write down his revelation and to share it with us is because I think God knew that glimpses of the coming heaven and new earth, that imagination of what it would be like would encourage us in faith and in hope. But I must be content knowing, as the great song says, there are some things about heaven where I can only imagine. Uh, Paul talks about being taken up to the third heaven, the realm where God lives. And here's what he said in 2 Corinthians 12. Only God knows whether I was in my body or outside my body. But I do know that I was caught up to paradise. And I heard things so astounding that they cannot be expressed in words. Things no human is allowed to tell. Now, isn't that amazing? Paul says, not only was I not allowed to put what I saw into words, I couldn't do it if I was allowed. Human vocabulary is not sufficient to describe what I saw. By the way, isn't that cool to think about that when heaven comes and we're on the new earth, we're going to need some new words to talk about what we are experiencing. But here's where theological humility is so important. Because here's what we know. What we know is that we can't know everything about our new home. And so here's what I'm going to do is I am going to share with you some of my thoughts about some of your questions. And I just want to say up front, it is okay if you have some different views. In fact, let me just save you some time. I may say something and you may not agree with it in this sermon and you may want to write me a 10-page email given your position. If you do, that's fine, but here's what I'm going to do. I'm going to write two sentences. You may be right. Have a blessed day. Here's the thing. You don't have to be right about heaven to go to heaven. But hopefully, some holy speculation will make us even more excited about the home that is coming. So, here's the one question I got more than any other. Where do saints go when they die? Now, 
In the Old Testament, the abode of the dead, where people went when they died, was called, the Hebrew word was sheol. It's often just translated the grave in your Bible. The, the Greek word for sheol was Hades. And the Hebrews understood this place where the, the dead went to have two realms. Uh, one for the wicked and one for those who were faithful. And that realm was called paradise. Now, Jesus seemed to affirm this view in his parable of the rich man and Lazarus. You remember the rich man was in torment and the beggar Lazarus was comforted in Abraham's bosom. Also, remember when Jesus is on the cross, he turns to one of the thieves and he says, today you will be with me in paradise. Now, I don't think at this point that heaven and paradise are the same place. In fact, I don't think in that time between his death and the resurrection that Jesus went to heaven. Do you remember when he comes back from the grave? He's in the garden with Mary and he says to her, don't cling to me for I haven't yet ascended to the Father. But go find my brothers and tell them I am ascending to my Father and your Father to my God and your God. You see, apparently, the Old Testament saints couldn't live in God's presence. They were in a good place, but they weren't in God's place because their sins had not been atoned for. The Hebrew writer is very clear about this. The blood of bulls and goats could provide forbearance of sin, but not forgiveness of sin. But when Jesus died on the cross and he shed his blood, apparently he was able to go to Sheol and he could say to all the righteous dead, I'm busting you out. Revelation 1, Jesus says, I now have the keys of death and Hades. Ephesians 4, 8 says that when he ascended, he took with him captives. Who's he taking? I think he's taking all the people that were held in Sheol until their sins were atoned for. And so after Jesus' ascension, paradise and heaven are in the same place. And the righteous dead are always referred to as being with the Lord. Now, you might be thinking, well, and how can that be? How can we be with the Lord if we haven't yet had the resurrection of the dead? And there's different views here. Now, one view says that when we die, we go to sleep. And Scripture often refers to death as sleep. And when you're asleep, you don't know how long you're asleep. Maybe two hours, maybe ten hours, you just wake up. It's going to be like that, that when Jesus returns, all the dead are just going to simultaneously wake up. And it will all seem at the same moment that we are alert to what Jesus is doing. Possibly, but it's not the view that I hold. My understanding is that the Scriptures imply a waiting time between our deaths and the return of Jesus. What I believe is that when we die, our spirit departs and goes immediately to be with the Lord. Paul talks about this a lot. I desire to depart and be with the Lord. Where is that? Well, it's in heaven. It's in this spiritual dimension where Jesus now lives in his resurrected body. The dimension that one day is going to come to the new earth. It's significant. The Bible never talks about the resurrection of the spirit, only of the body. In fact, you remember Stephen, the very first person martyred for his faith, he, as he was dying, it says that while they were stoning him, Stephen prayed, Lord Jesus, receive my spirit. And so I believe those now in heaven are awaiting their glorification when they are going to receive their resurrected bodies. 
Again, in the Revelation in chapter 6, John sees this picture that under the altar are the souls, he says, of martyred saints, saying, How long, Lord? How long until you avenge our deaths? And they are told to wait a little longer. They're not asleep. Their victory is assured, but their wait is very real. Now, one last scripture I want us to look at. And in this scripture, we've read it many times, there is a seeming contradiction that I want you to notice. Paul says in 1 Thessalonians 4, For since we believe that Jesus died and was raised to life again, we also believe that when Jesus returns, now watch, God will bring back with Him the believers who have died. So who's coming with Jesus when He returns? The believers who have died are coming back with Him. Keep reading. We tell you this directly from the Lord. We who are still living when the Lord returns will not meet Him ahead of those who have died. For the Lord Himself will come down from heaven with a commanding shout, with the voice of the archangel, and with the trumpet call of God. First, the believers who have died will rise from their graves. Do you catch that? He said earlier that the believers who died are coming back with Jesus. Then he says the believers who have died are going to be the first to come up out of the ground from their graves. How can that be? Here's what I believe. That Jesus is bringing back with him the spirits of all the righteous. And then their bodies are going to be coming from the ground. And they are going to be glorified. They are going to receive in the air the reunion of their spirit. And they're now glorified, resurrected bodies. How's that going to happen? I don't. No, but I think it's going to be pretty awesome. The earth is going to be purged with fire, and then with Jesus, we're all going to return as He sets up His kingdom and His glory fills the new earth. And so here's what I believe. That when I preach a funeral of a righteous saint, I can say with certainty they have gone to be with the Lord. And when I die, I don't believe I will have a layover. My spirit will go directly to be with the Lord. It will be the best day I have ever lived. But it will not be the best day I will ever live. That will be the day when I receive my glorified body. When Jesus returns. When home is coming. Okay, now I promise the rest of the questions will not take as long as that one. I don't... Mind, if you're a little tired, that was a lot to cover. I would give you a 10-minute break, but I'm afraid if I did, you wouldn't come back. So we're going to plow through and cover a few more questions. They'll go a little quicker. Here's the next question. Are those now with Jesus aware of us? Well, we just saw in Revelation 6, it says that the souls of the martyred saints are very aware of the actions on earth and of the evil being committed against Jesus' church. I think also that Jesus suggests that they are aware in heaven of people receiving salvation. Now, let me show you a, a very common verse I think sometimes is misinterpreted. In the Luke 15, Jesus says, In the same way, there is joy in the presence of God's angels when even one sinner repents. Now, when in the little church I was raised in, anytime someone was baptized, I can't tell you how many times somebody would say, boy, the angels are rejoicing right now. Well, I'm sure they are, but that's not what it says. Look again. There is rejoicing in the presence of the angels when one sinner repents. So who is rejoicing in the presence of the angels? The saints are. The spirits that are now with Lord Jesus. And then one more thought. 
The Hebrew writer says, suggests that those who are now in heaven with Jesus, they follow and watch us who are following Jesus. Uh, look at this verse in Hebrews 12.1. Now, in chapter 11, he's given this long list of faithful people. And then he says, therefore, since we're surrounded by such a great cloud of witnesses, let us throw off everything that hinders and the sin that so easily entangles, and let us run with perseverance the race marked out for us. Now, he's using a, a picture there that uh, we can relate to. And we love our sports, right? And they're saying that maybe sports are going to come back, but they may not have fans in the stands. Isn't that going to feel weird? Because there is such a thing as a home field advantage. There really is. You play better when you have the stands full of people that are cheering for you. Well, what the Hebrew writer is saying is we're surrounded by a cloud of witnesses. We have people who are cheering for us, rooting for us. We have the ultimate home field advantage, and that should encourage us to greater faithfulness and resilience as we wait for the return of the Lord. Next question. Will we know each other on the new earth? Well, again, John said in his revelation, I saw a book of life and it had inside carefully listed all the names of the redeemed. Okay? And so, yes, you will keep your identity in heaven. Jesus said we will sit down and we will eat with Abraham and Isaac and Jacob. We will know them. They will know us. It's interesting when Jesus is transfigured on the mountain, it says Moses and Elijah appeared. It's interesting, immediately the disciples knew who they were, and they weren't wearing name tags. So yes, God is not going to bring his family back together as a bunch of strangers. We will know each other, but I think in a very new and unique way. And here's what I mean by that. You've probably been at a funeral. I have too, of maybe of a child. And someone might say, I can just see our little loved one in good old Uncle John's lap right now. Well, see, the implication is that if you die as a child or if you die as an old person, that's what you'll be in heaven. I don't believe that. I believe when the new earth is filled, when the Lord returns, that we are going to live on the new earth in our new curse-free bodies. And I personally think they're going to appear like Adam appeared when God created him. Uh, my grandmother, the one who brought my whole family to faith, who I cherish, the whole time I knew her, she was short and plump and had blue hair. But there's a picture I have seen of her as a young girl. And she is svelte, and her hair is dark, and she's beautiful. And when I am reunited with my grandmother, I think that's who I'm going to see. Uh, I think we're all going to be uh, in our prime, in our healthy, in our curse-free, sin-free state, just like Adam and Eve were when they were created. Could I be wrong about that? I could be. You say, Pastor Rick, I disagree with you. You just go right ahead. You might be right. Have a blessed day. But what I think is that we're going to look like Adam and Eve. Well, how old are that going to be? I don't know. But here's what I do know. We'll be reunited with saints we love. We'll be introduced to saints we admire. And we will have a new earth full of new friends to make. I agree with the old pastor who was asked, will we know each other in heaven? And his answer we will not really know each other until we get to heaven.
Next question. Why will there be no more marriage when Jesus returns? Now, I told you, faith is not afraid of hard questions. And this is a hard question. And honestly, I'll say up front, I'm not sure that my view is correct. This question comes about because when Jesus was challenged by the Sadducees about marriage in heaven, he responded, marriage is for people here on earth. But in the age to come, those worthy of being raised from the dead will neither marry nor be given in marriage. And they will never die again. In this respect, they will be like angels. They are children of God and children of the resurrection. Now, Jesus is not saying that we will be genderless clones on the new earth. There will be a place for maleness and for femaleness, but not for marriage, at least not the way we understand it now. Why? Well, for one thing, I don't believe in the new earth there will be procreation. Now, in the Genesis 1 definition or model of marriage, marriage Sex and children are very connected. And this is the biblical picture. Now, in our culture, we separate those three things. But in the biblical picture, marriage and sex and children are very connected. And I don't believe in the new earth will be making new or more people. Also, one of the functions of marriage besides procreation was to point to the faithfulness of Jesus. Paul says it's a mystery, but... When a Christian man and woman commit to each other in unconditional love, they're showing the world how much Jesus loves his church. And that picture won't be necessary. And then I think it's important to realize that the ultimate goal of marriage is to help us spend eternity with Jesus. Now, having said all that, it's just my opinion. I do believe in the new earth there is going to be a place for special, unique bonds. Jesus loved everybody, but he had a special affection. He was closer to some than to others, and it seems reasonable to me to think that on the new earth it will be the same way. It seems reasonable to me to seem that my wife Jamie and I will have a special connection and a special bond that will last for eternity. And by the way, in one sense there will be marriage in heaven, that when the new earth comes, it's often depicted as a marriage feast and we're going to be married to Christ. Now, what does that mean? I don't know, but I don't think any of us are going to be disappointed. And you may have a different view. You know what? You might be right. Have a blessed day. Next question. What's to prevent another fall? Great question. I believe the Bible is clear. Hebrews 10.10 says that Jesus Christ died for sins once for all time. I don't think Genesis 3 is going to have a sequel. I understand. Well, if they were in paradise, if they were in a perfect world, and if they fell and blew up everything, why couldn't that happen again? Well, for one thing, we saw last time that in the new earth, nothing evil is going to be allowed to enter. Also, The truth about the cost of sin will be evident to all. We will no longer be able to be duped like Adam and Eve were, that God is holding out on us and keeping something good from us. The scars on the hands and feet of Jesus will forever remind us that disobedience has a price. Also, I think it's significant that in Adam and Eve, they were made in perfection. They were clothed in innocence. 
but we're going to be clothed in the righteousness of Christ. Maybe that's why Paul says we're not just going to be raised uncorruptible, we're going to be raised incorruptible. And, and don't forget, too, that the futility of rebellion is going to be completely exposed. Those who have dishonored and disobeyed God are going to be in this place called hell. Now, whatever you think about that, I want to say something real clear. Devil is often pictured as being in charge of hell. No, God is in charge of hell. God is the Lord of hell. And hell brings glory to God. Because what hell does is it reveals and makes completely clear that God is totally sovereign over evil. When, when, Paul, excuse me, when John has his vision of the new earth. He sees a tree of life back like in Genesis 1 and 2. He doesn't see a tree of the knowledge of good and evil. That tree was to determine among our first parents, who do you think God should be? Should it be the Lord God who made you or should you be God? See, that question is going to be resolved. That question is going to be decided for eternity. God alone should be God. And Genesis 3 is not going to happen again. Maybe that's why in chapter 21 of the Revelation, the Lord God Himself says, It is done. I am the Alpha and the Omega, the beginning and the end. And so let's close with maybe the hardest question of all. How can I enjoy eternity without all those I know and love? We all have wrestled with that, haven't we? You know, the Bible says in Hebrews 12, verse 2, that for the joy set before him, Jesus endured the cross. And here's the thing. Jesus is happy in heaven. Even though not all that he came to save are there with him. Or will be with him for eternity. Perhaps... The glories of the next life will simply overwhelm the memories of this life. Uh, maybe that's what God is alluding to in Isaiah 65. See, I will create new heavens and a new earth. The former things will not be remembered, nor will they come to mind. What will certainly be true when we stand in God's presence, we are going to unquestionably affirm all his judgments, that he was good, that he was fair, and that he was gracious. And when we get one glimpse of the holiness of God, we will not wonder how anyone could spend eternity without him. We will marvel that anyone could spend eternity with him. We will never lose our awe for his amazing grace. And one last thought. God himself said, I will see to it that you don't grieve. I will wipe the tears from your eyes. And here's one thing I do know for sure. God keeps his promises. Paul says in 1 Corinthians 2, No eye has seen, no ear has heard, no mind has imagined. No matter how hard we try, we can't even imagine what God has prepared for those who love Him. Uh, when London was being bombed during World War II, the king sent out an order that the children should be taken out of the city into the country to get out of danger. A story is told, I don't know if it's true, 
But I could imagine it happening. The boy and girl were put on the train by their parents to be taken to a place of safety. And the little girl started to cry and said to her brother, I'm afraid. I don't know where we're going. And he replied, I don't know either, but the king knows. And we're going to be okay. You see, we know that we can't know everything about heaven. But we know we can trust the one who knows everything. We can trust the coming king. And so let me close with this very, very important word. I said earlier, you don't have to be right about heaven to go to heaven. But I believe with all my heart you have to be right about Jesus. I don't believe all roads lead to heaven. I believe it is a mockery of the death of Christ to suggest that God would let his son die if it wasn't necessary. Jesus said, no one comes to the Father except through me. And you don't have to be right about heaven to go to heaven. But you need to be right about Jesus. And so I want to invite you to surrender to the Lord Jesus. In fact, right now, if you don't know Christ as your Lord and Savior, I would like you to type the word surrender to the number that is on the screen. Every week, people are typing that word. Every week, we are having the privilege of helping people make the decision to surrender their lives to the Lord Jesus. The one who is preparing a people for his place. And he's preparing a place for his people. And there's a lot we can't know, but we can know this. That we can trust Jesus with our eternity. No question. Let me pray for us. And so we do ask you, Lord, to take these thoughts and water them. And bring up in our hearts fruit that will honor Jesus. We recognize, God, there is so much about our future we cannot know. But what we can know is that Jesus has made a way. That Jesus is coming again. And that spending eternity with Jesus is going to be good. No question. So I pray today, God, that this teaching... And that these thoughts will stir our hearts and our imaginations to greater hope, to greater faith, to greater courage, to greater love of neighbor. Come quickly, Lord Jesus, we ask in your name. Amen.